You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. In that song, there are lyrics that says, Break my heart for what breaks yours. And uh, that is a strong prayer. Break my heart for what breaks yours. I wrote in, in, in my notes that I don't have today, because I typed this message out one time, and I, I, I have an Apple laptop, I don't know a lot about it, and Microsoft Word chewed it up and left me with nothing. So I was determined that I was going to uh, do it again. So I sat down and a couple of days later, and I wrote the sermon again, again on Microsoft Word, and it laughed. I believe the laptop was laughing at me this time, giggling and chewing it up and storing it in Never Never Land. So um, after talking with some people that know Apple better than I do and know Microsoft Word, they said I need to download some new uh, stuff that may be available that will stop that. So here I am today without notes. Okay, But it is a passage that we love. And I, I wrote down in those notes these words. We will never know the love of God until we've fallen in love. Amen? We will never know the heart of God until we have been hurt. Okay, now let me say that again. We will never know the love of God until we've been loved, until we have fallen in love. We will never know the hurt or the heart of God. We will never know the heart of God until we've been hurt. Okay? And, and I can say this. It is one thing to be in love. It is one thing to get married. And, and you'll learn a lot about the nature and the character of God when you become a husband or a wife you will learn even more about the character and the nature of God when you fall in love and you have children and you're raising those children because they'll teach you a lot about the heart and the nature of God. Well, today we have this story in in Luke 15. Jesus here in Luke 15 verses 1 and 2. And I want you to look at this because here Jesus said, now the tax collectors are, are Luke. Luke is writing this. Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Luke is writing... He is a physician. He is a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. We believe that Luke did a lot of his research in this chronological account of the life of Christ while Paul was in prison. And so Luke is writing to his dear friend Theophilus and he's giving him this chronological report about the life of Christ. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. This chapter, from about chapter 13, takes us all the way to chapter 17. It's like a a, a single day, almost, in the life of Christ. So Luke says in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Okay, a mass of people are gathered around him. In verse 2, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners... And he eats with them. I remember years ago pastoring my second church. There was a bar down from the church. 
And uh, a lot of the church people periodically would gripe and complain about this bar and the, all of the shenanigans that went on there and just endlessly talked about this bar. And, and, and at that time, I had a 250 Suzuki dirt bike. And I'd ride around visiting people and talking to people. And so I decided one day, you know, I'm just going to go in. I'm just going to pull into this bar and go in there and see what it's all about. So I went into this bar and I, I walked in and I sat down at the bar. I said, a uh, lady came over, a kind of a hard-looking woman. She said, could I help you? I said, uh, she talked about it like that too. Could I help you? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'd like a canned Coke and keep it in the can. I sat there for a while, and, and uh, when you order a Coke in a bar, you can get ready. People start turning and looking at you. So people begin to look, and before long, I began to talk to the woman behind the bar, told her who I was. Well, boy, when I said that, a hush came over the bar. People were playing pool, stopped. And a couple of them came over near me. They said, you, you the pastor of that church now? <laughs> yeah, I am. And uh, they said, well, what do you think about the PTL club? That's the first thing out of their mouth. What do you think about PTL, Jim Baker and Tammy Faye and, and that, uh, and, and, and what do you think about Jimmy Swaggart? And, 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 and boy, they just, man, they were launching into me, boy. And I, I was doing the best I could to answer the questions. I ended up having a fascinating, good time in that bar talking to people about Christ. Because ultimately, we, we, I, I was able to turn the attention. We began to talk about Christ. We began to talk about what they were going to do about Jesus Christ. And, so, and now listen to this. The entire bar was talking about Jesus. Okay, the, the whole bar. I stayed in there a while. I think I had two Cokes, man. I was really on a limb there. I, <laughs> I don't know if I ate a pack of nabs or whatever, buddy. But I, I ended up, I, I, I had a good experience. And, and when I left, I got on my dirt bike and left out of there, you know. And I, I think they were kind of just the fact of a preacher on a motorcycle, you know. And I pulled up to the house and Sheila came out with one of those looks like, where have you been? Only when she got outside and she looked at me, she could, I reeked of cigarette smoke. And she said, where have, where have you been? I said, I have been down at the bar and I've just had the bed. She said, What? I said, don't worry, I just drank a Coke. I'm, I'm sober, I'm all right, you know. I said, I've just been down to the bar and I've just had a great experience. Now, it took about two baths to get cigarette smoke off of me. But it was an opportunity to fellowship with people that you normally wouldn't fellowship with. In this church, there was a time when we were just, uh, we had a young lady, a woman who came, had a little girl, she came to this church, we began to minister to her. She was a bartender down here at, at the Hill, a bar down here on, on Raymond Road. And uh, she uh, began to be interested. She went to her little trailer down here at the end of Raymond Road, began to talk to her and witness to her. And finally, she, on one Sunday night, she said, Brother Jeff, can I ask you to do something? I said, yeah. She said, would y'all come one Sunday night and, and eat at the Hill? I laughed and said, I didn't even know they served food at the hill. She said, oh yeah, we do. She said, I want you to come and be our guest and I want you to have a steak. So the next Sunday night, Sheila and I go down to the hill, the bar down here. We, we walk in and, and again, in fact, Emily was with us. That's right, Emily was with us. Emily looked at her mama like, I was with y'all. 
And, and so we walk in, and, and, and here, here is this, this woman behind the bar. She says, oh, oh look, it's my, it's my pastor. <laughs> come on in. Y'all come on in. And, and she said to everybody up at the bar, hey, this is Brother Jeff from Southside Baptist Church, my pastor. And, and boy, she got all excited and went around to all the tables introducing, you know, and said, this is my pastor, this is his wife, this is his daughter. Hey, y'all sit right here. Man, right smack dab in the middle of the bar. There was a little table set with a little place setting and everything. She said, well, I'm so glad y'all are here. Come, boy, I want you to meet the owner. She went back, went back in the kitchen, came out, brought the chef, the people out of the kitchen, and the owner said, man, this is, my, this is the pastor of Southside Baptist Church. He said, well, this is a new one on me. He said, but we're glad to have you. So, so we sat down there, and she came out. Listen, this was the best steak I've ever eaten in my life. It was just unbelievable. And we fellowship, we laughed. We talked to people at the bar. We talked to people around the tables. People came over and began to ask questions. We had an opportunity to minister in an environment with a group of people that was refreshing. Religious people don't like that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like that. That was a quality and a characteristic in the life of Christ that they didn't really care for. And so Luke tells Theophilus, he says, he says, Theophilus, I want you to understand, Jesus' reviews at this time were not very good from the religious community. And so Jesus begins to tell these stories. He says, you know, let me, let me illustrate this, what's happening here with three stories. And, and we said this, we said these are, these are three easy points. First of all, in each story, something is lost. Secondly, a search is launched. Third, salvation is lavish. And he tells the story, he says, look, he said there was a, you know, this community and, and this communal type shepherding of sheep, you know, where they would gather up sheep and, and maybe three shepherds would go out and they'd carry these sheep and they would move around and graze them wherever they can find pasture land. And often what would happen is the sheep would get lost. Two shepherds would come back with the community's flock. But one shepherd would be left looking out across the hillsides trying to find that one lost sheep. And Jesus said to these people, and he was saying to the teachers and the instructors there in the temple and the priests and, the, and these leaders of the law, he was saying, listen... Let me tell you what God's like. Do you know what it feels like when the community is gathered and they're looking for that one shepherd and all of a sudden they see him in the distance, he has that one sheep across his shoulders and he's making, he's striding his way home. Do you know how the community just erupts in celebration and gets all excited and begins to say, he found the sheep, they're all here, he's coming home. Man, let's have a celebration. He said, that's God. He said, you know what the engagement necklace is that every Jewish woman would want, that necklace of silver strand with ten silver coins? He said, let me tell you the story of a woman who realized that when she put her necklace on, that dowry, that engagement necklace, as she looked at it and glamorized over it, she realized that one of those coins were gone and she began to search all through her home and her house, looking everywhere, trying to find this coin. Couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. Moved furniture, pulled out everything. Had her lantern because there were no windows in these homes at that time. She's looking everywhere. And all of a sudden, she calls her neighbors and friends and says, you'll never believe what happened. I found my coin. I found 
found it. I, my necklace is back together. Come and celebrate with me. Jesus said, that's God. He really gets excited when people repent. He really gets excited. And so Jesus now comes to this third story. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, this is the greatest chapter in all the Bible. William Barclay said, this is the gospel in the gospel. And in verse 11, Jesus tells this story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, he said, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth and riotous living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, circle that, underline that. That's a critical key. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out, I will go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and began to kiss him repeatedly. The son said to the father, he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, he said, quick, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's party. (laughs) Let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, he said, what's going on back at the house? Your brother's come, he replied. Uh, Your father's killed the fattened calf and it's because he, your brother, was lost now he's found. He's back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father and said, Look, listen, listen, Dad, look. All these years... I have been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, 
who squandered your property with prostitutes and whores, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything that I have is yours. But, now watch this, but we, in the NIV, it says this, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. Let's pray for a moment. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray, dear Lord, even in these few moments that you just anoint this time, dear Lord, even as I just simply, dear Lord, ask you through the power of your Holy Spirit to guide me and give me wisdom to know how to speak on this passage. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus says here we have, to, we have a father. He's a good father. Okay, he is, a, he is a good father. He has two sons, and he no doubt was the kind of father that had raised his sons as best he could. He had given them every opportunity. He had had them in Little League ball, had them at soccer. He had also brought them up in the church. He gave them every opportunity. He raised them to be spiritually deep, godly, mature men. But Jesus says in this case, there was one son who was, I would call him, restless. The younger one. In fact, I, I listened to a, one pastor that said this. He said, these sons represent two different men, two different kinds of men. He said, often in our society and often in the church, he said, the rebellious and the religious. And so this youngest son comes to him and he says, listen, Dad, it doesn't look like you're going to die anytime soon. And, and I know that a third of the estate belongs to me because when you do die, I'm going to get it. So since you're not going to die and your health seems to be relatively good, I want to go ahead and you give me my portion of the inheritance because I'm ready to get out of here. I'm restless. I need to get out. I need to stretch my wings and be the man that I, that I need to be. And I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of this farm. I want to live life. And so he's restless. And so the Bible says that the father gives him. You know, sometimes we have to give our children, sometimes we have to give people freedom. Sometimes as parents, you can't hang on to your kids. You've got to let go of them. When they reach a certain age, you kind of let them go. So this young man, he, he steps out. Now all of a sudden, he has a third of the estate. Two-thirds belongs to the elder. One-third to the younger, according to, uh, according to Levitical law. And so this young man takes this, and you can imagine this scene now, as he has a third of the estate liquidated, given over to him, and he steps out and he begins to... The Bible says he went into a far country. He looked like a college freshman heading to school. I'm sure he woke up the first morning, he sounded like a college freshman. You remember that scene in William Wallace at Braveheart? You remember right there at the end, boy, it's a real moving moment when they're getting ready to execute him and he's laying there and all of a sudden he goes, what's the last word you hear out of William Wallace's mouth? Freedom! But like a college student, the first morning they wake up on a college campus and parents are no longer there. This young man was not only restless, he was riotous, he was rebellious. The Bible says, the Bible says here, Jesus tells the story that this young man takes a third of the estate that this old man has spent his life working for, and the Bible says that he squandered it. You know what that word means? It means he just threw it away. You know, we throw it, you know, a lot of times people take advantage of stuff they've not earned. 
You know, if you haven't earned something, if you haven't sweated and, and brought... This is the danger sometimes of parents. I watch parents and grandparents who, who just readily give their children stuff and more stuff. And, and the idea there is that they've, they've not had any part in earning it and, 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 and being responsible for it. So they frivolously and just quickly throw it away. So the Bible says that he was not only re- restless, he was rebellious. And he spent everything that he had. He spent it in a moment. And I'm sure he had all kinds of friends that were right up there at the bar with him saying, man, man, this is the, this is the life. Because that's what the world tells us. But then Jesus said a famine came into the land. He said it was an excruciatingly difficult time in the life of this young man because he had squandered everything that he had. Now his friends had left him. You ever notice that? Fairweather friends? I'm going to tell you this. Listen, a friendship that is not somehow centered on Jesus Christ is a dangerous friendship. And so his friends are gone. The Bible says that a famine hits the land. He he doesn't have anything anymore. And he does what no Jewish boy would ever do. He gets into the business that the Gentiles were in, and that is raising pigs. He's a pig farmer. He's not a pig farmer. He's really one who just goes out and slops the pigs. Anybody ever slopped pigs? Boy, that is nasty. I remember my uncle one time had about 200 head of pigs. And he'd say, okay, it's time to go out and... Slop the pigs. Well, that was a good word for it because that's about what it was. You'd go out there and, and, and people would throw just bat bucket, you know, just, you'd have a bucket of just slop, just leftover stuff off the table, junk that had been thrown in there, anything and everything, and it was in a slop bucket, and you'd just go out there and, boy, you'd hear, <laughs> sound like you have teenage kids coming to the table, you know, just coming up in there, just all rooting and pushing and shoving, and you'd throw that slop bucket out there and put that pig feed out there. And watch them as they just trample around in their own feces, eating slop. This Jewish boy is slopping pigs. And he's literally, he's literally the skeletal remains of the young man that had left the father's home. He's been ravished by the world and he has nothing. And he looks at this slop And he thinks to himself, oh man, if nobody was looking, I believe I would get down there and eat with them. It's it's, as Jesus is unfolding this story, his audience is sitting there thinking to themselves, this kid couldn't get much worse in a much worse situation. The dynamics of this are so bad. So finally, this young Jewish boy who has lost all of his money, all of the inheritance, a third of the inheritance in riotous, rebellious living, who has now lost everything, his friendships, he's slopping and feeding pigs. He thinks to himself. The Bible says this, and, and this is a critical key. The Bible says in verse 17, when he came to his senses... I earned my doctorate at RTS. I studied in the 1980s under R.C. Sproul. I'm not a Calvinist. Okay. I went through a time that I really investigated. I looked hard at Calvinism. I'm not a Calvinist because of that one verse right there, one of them. 
Because the Bible says that this young man, he came to himself. Now, if you look at the father, when the father talks about the son, the father uses the word in the Greek, nekros. He uses the word, he was dead. My son was dead. I remember R.C. Sproul. In fact, I have an autographed copy of Chosen by God by R.C. Sproul. One of the classics on Calvinism. I remember R.C. Sproul talking about this word necros, this word dead. In Ephesians 2.1, we're dead in our trespasses and our sins. He said there's nothing that a dead man can do. There's nothing a dead man can do but repent. Because according to this, in the father's eyes, his son was dead. He was necros. The word is necros. He was dead. Same word used over and over again through the Bible and the New Testament for dead. But metanoia, he had a change of mind. G. Campbell Morgan said this, you can't change a man's behavior until you change his mind. Cognitive wake-up call. He repents, comes to his senses. He looks around at the consequences of the choices and the decisions that he's made, and all of a sudden he says to himself, man, I am in a mess. The Bible says he comes to his senses, metanoia. He turns around, he says to himself, he begins to think to himself, you know, in my, in my, in my father's house, the servants do better than this. And what he was using here was a word for day laborer. He says the day laborers do better than this. The homeless man who goes up to the day laborer office and gets a job for a day, they do better than I'm doing here. So he says, I'm going home. And you see, you see the son, he's, he's rehearsing. He's thinking over his speech. He's, he's, he's going over it in his head. He's, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say to my dad, I, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I understand that. I'm, I'm not asking for that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking to be a, a servant. I'm, not, I'm asking to be a day laborer. Dad, if you just let me be a day laborer, that's all. And as he's making his way home, he's, he's rehearsing this speech and he's thinking over it and he's, he's preparing it in his mind and getting it ready. When all of a sudden the Bible says that the father saw him from a long ways off. Wow, isn't that a... Isn't that a let me say this. Jesus, you know, I've told you a lot of times in Zimbabwe when we lived there, the first thing that I began, to, I was preaching one time and I asked a pastor, I said, how do I talk about the incarnate Christ? And this old African pastor took my jacket and he said, he said, Nyama. So I said, Nyama, which means flesh. And then this was Jaina, Mufundis Jaina, Jeff. And then this old African pastor said, Mwadi, which meant God. He said, Mwadi, Akafeka. He said what he was saying, old Simon Jaina, this old African pastor, was saying, God dressed in the flesh of man. So here we have Jesus, who is the incarnate. He is God in flesh telling us what happens in the heart of God and lets us know what's happening in heaven when, when people are repentant. And Jesus is telling this story and he's saying, listen, the Father, who is God, is anxiously looking and watching and waiting for an unrepentant man to repent, come to his senses, realize the circumstances and the consequences of his willful, rebellious, defiant 
dis, uh, his spirit, he's saying, if that man will just repent and come. So God's waiting and watching and looking, and just like this old man, this old man's watching. You can imagine this old man. I've always pictured that this old man had a hard time when the kids left. Man, I listen, when Amy went to Delta State, you've heard me say this, I hyperventilated. I literally was crying so hard when we left our oldest daughter at Delta State that when we left, I was coming down Highway 61. I finally had to pull over one of those farm roads and just literally try to get my breath back. I thought I was dying. It's fathers every day every day of his existence since that boy packed up and left, every single day throughout the day, periodically looking in the direction of where his son might, have, might come back and he, he doesn't see him, but on this day. The old man is looking across the fields and across the rolling hills when all of a sudden he sees this thin, drawn-up looking figure, filthy and dirty, and he's coming across and the old man looks for a moment he can recognize he knows that walk he may be thin and he may be dirty but he knows that walk he knows the gate he knows everything about it the bible says now this is this is jesus talking about god an old man in eastern culture does not do this he does not run it's undignified to run but this old man gathers up his robes like a, like a bride with her bridal garments. He, the old man gathers up his robes because they were long flowing robes and he pulls them up into his arms and he begins to run at full speed and his undergarments possibly were even showing, which was unheard of. Old men in the Far Eastern culture just don't do that. They don't run. They don't conduct themselves this way. But Jesus says this old man sees him from afar and he, he just shouts a shout that rings across the farmhouse. The old woman, the mother comes out wondering what's going on and he's screaming and running. He's home. He's home. He's home. Listen, he's home. Jesus says, that's Verse 22, verse 20, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion. Filled is the idea of being governed. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. He is under the control of passion. He's filled with compassion and he runs and he ran to his son and he throws his arms around him and embraces him. His son was filthy, dirty. Where did we pick, where was his son when he repented? He was slopping pigs. He had no shoes. And that culture to walk with no shoes, the only ones who didn't have shoes were slaves. There weren't paved, side, paved roads and sidewalks. A, ro a road was a nasty place to be. He had been slopping pigs. He was filthy and dirty and grimy. And the Bible says, Jesus says, the Father doesn't do anything. He throws His arms around him and embraces him. And the Bible says that He began to kiss him. Now let me tell you this. Alicia and Ethan have been staying with us 
because they're having to get their house rewired. If I had a dollar for every time I've kissed Ethan, Sheila and I could retire. I mean, I'll just kiss him, right? Is that not true? You see, Alicia's sitting there nodding her head. She'll tell you, I just kiss him over and over again. Just kiss, I just pick him up and kiss him all over and just kiss him and kiss him and kiss him. Just love kissing him. That's the picture here. The scripture says that he kissed him repeatedly all over, just embracing him. You know what Jesus is saying? That's God. And then the father says this. He says to his servants, he says, quick, bring the best robe. To me, that's the picture of the robe of righteousness. Bring the best robe. It's like Jacob with Joseph when he put that coat of many colors around him. Bring, Bring the best robe and put shoes on his feet. He's not a servant. He's my son. You know, sometimes parents, the only reason children never come home is because we're waiting with a speech. Right? See, somebody even affirmed that. Some children can't come home because they're afraid if they come home, they've got to listen to a lecture. There was no lecture here. There was no, I hope you've learned your lesson. Or I'm going to put you on probation. We're going to put you on a trial period. We'll see how it works out. Listen, everything the Father does. When the Father says, put a ring on His finger, what the Father was saying is this. I want you to give Him a checkbook, give Him the family checkbook, give Him the checking account, give Him access to all of the funds, give Him the credit card, give Him everything that He needs, give Him His cell phone back, give Him His uh, Hummer back, give Him everything back because He's my Son. I want him to have all the authority of my son again. Because the ring was how you carried on business. And when he said put a ring on his finger, what he was saying is, and when he said he's got shoes on his feet, what he's saying, see the son, the son said to the father, he said, Father, listen, I, I, I just want you to know, I, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called, shh, shh, shh. I don't want to hear it. How do we, the father didn't even acknowledge what he was saying. The father just wrapped his arms around and began to kiss him all over. And he said, listen, you put feet, uh, shoes on his feet. He's not a slave, he's my son. You put that robe around his, around his body because he's my son. You give him that ring because he has all the authority that I have. This is what Jesus said right before he went up into heaven. He said, all authority I give you, every one of us. There's only one problem. The elder brother. Bless his heart. Eloise, who's secretary here for years, said you can gossip about anybody as long as you say bless their heart. Then she laughed and said, I'm just joking, Brother Jeff, a little bit. The elder brother. Bible says that he was still out in the fields. He was working. He's busy, conscientious, and doing everything that was required of him. In verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when the Bible said when he came near the house, he kind of scratched his head. What's going on? 
He looks at one of the servants who comes out and says, what, what, what's going on here? Did, did, I, did, I, did I miss something here? Is there something going on that I wasn't aware of? Is there a festival celebration? And uh, the servant says, hey, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what's happened. And your father's all excited. He is beside himself. Your brother, listen, your brother's home. He knew enough about his younger brother to know this, because he tells the father, and notice how he words it to the father. He says, this son of yours. He didn't say my brother, this son of yours. Has, race, has wasted a third of the inheritance, a third of the estate on riot, on prostitutes. He's been, he's been out there sleeping with whores, spending a third of this, of this inheritance. And you mean to tell me that we're going to have a celebration for him? He, he was well aware of his brother. He knew what kind of life he had lived. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Prodigal God where Tim Keller identifies and talks about and spends a great deal of time on the elder brother. And what he says about the elder brother, he says this. He said, you know, the truth of the matter is the elder brother should have been out there looking for the younger brother. That's the problem here. The elder brother resents the younger brother. He resents the freedom that he's, he's had, the rebellion that he's lived. And he's saying, this is religion. This is religion. Religion holds to a form of godliness. It dots the I's. It crosses the T's. Well, I'd never do that. Well, I'd never do that. It's do's and don'ts and a list of commands and being very strict and watching every little detail. But there's no relationship. So the elder brother is angry. He says, I'm not celebrating nothing. Now, go back to verses 1 and 2, and you know what you'll find here? In verses 1 and 2, you'll find the reason Jesus told this story. The story is not about the lost sheep. And the story is not about a lost coin. The story is not even about a lost son. The story is about this. You know what the story is about? The story is about the elder brother. Verses 1 and 2. You see, the elder brother, the younger brother's religious. I mean, rebellious. The elder brother's religious. He holds to a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. 2 Timothy 3.5. We talked about it in Sunday school. You see, that's religious people. And, and, and let me tell you this. Religious people are sneaking in different ways now. They're, they, you know, a lot of times younger generation says, well, the religious people are the old folks who have very traditional worship and they, they do things a certain way. Well, you know, young people realize this, that we are in danger of you creating another tradition that stinks just as bad as some of this does. I told Sunday school class I go into cups at Dogwood now since Borders is on the verge of closing. I've been grieving for a while over it. And there's two guys that work in cups there and, 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 and constantly church people coming in. I mean, you think cups, I thought about Cups Baptist Church. I mean, it's unbelievable. They're, everybody coming in there almost has a Bible and people are sitting there in Bible study groups, Bible study groups, Bible... And I, and I went up one day to these two guys and I said, could I ask you something? And I asked him yesterday. I said, uh, I noticed that there are a lot of people coming... Oh, and they said, yeah, man, there's a lot of, a lot of religious people coming. I think that's how they put it. A lot of religious people coming in. So they have Bible study groups and discussions. And I said, could I ask you something? I said, do they ever ask you about your uh, relationship with Christ? Do they ever talk to you about religion? 
They say, well, they kind of looked at each other, maybe, maybe, maybe a few times. Well, see, I watch people. And I see so many of these young people coming in, and not one of them, these are young people behind the counter. Never do, have I ever, and I've been going now for a little while, do I hear any of them ever ask, how are you doing? Hey, give me a, uh, give me a cappuccino, a double espresso, uh, make it this temperature. You know, that's, that's kind of, you got to be cool. You know, talk coffee talk. It's like wine, <laughs> fine wine now. And, uh, and, and, but I never hear anybody say, hey, man, how's it going? Hey. I need a cappuccino, double espresso, 187 degrees. I'll be over there in a minute. Now let's talk about Jesus. Hey man, how you doing? Having a good morning? Let me go put this over here and talk to you for a minute. Far cry from a loving father who's gathering up his robes and running at full speed to greet the unrepentant, to wrap their arms around them and not give them a speech about alcohol or drugs or how many cigarettes they smoke or the crowd they're hanging around with or the fact that it's a mama living over in the metro inn that's having to that's sleeping and taking pay for it and trying to feed her kids. God knows we don't want to get into her life and find out how we can help her get out of that lifestyle. No, I tell you what we do. We just pack up our little churches, we liquidate our assets, and we move to Brandon and Clinton. We move out into Madison. We go where people like us are. not our God. And that's not the God Jesus talked about. I want you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, there are three sons here. You say, wait a minute, I thought this father only had two. No, there's three, there's three in this parable. There's three in this story. There is a rebellious son. There is a religious son. But there's another son, and he's the son of God. And he's telling the story. And he knows the heart of the Father in a way nobody else could know him. And when he's telling the story, he's saying this, I have seen my Father literally react this way over the unrepentant coming to repentance and coming to salvation I have seen this I have seen it through the nation of Israel the covenant people of God in a right relationship walking with God 
And he's going to see it a lot more when the one who's telling the story is hanging on the cross and taking the sin of all of humanity and nailing it there and offering salvation to every person who will repent. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And Christ says this, He says, we are one of the three sons. You are either rebellious, you are throwing off restraint, you are rebelling against God, you're rebelling against the Word of God, against everything you've ever been taught, everything that is good and wholesome and real, you're rebelling against it. You're saying, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. Some of you that are religious, oh, you read your Bible, you pray, but your prayers go to the ceiling and then they stop, so you don't do them much anymore. You come to church, you don't really feel anything. Just going through the motions. But there's a third sign. And when you and I come under repentance, and we invite that son to come and live within our hearts and in our lives. He wakes us up to the heart of the Father. All of a sudden, we begin to feel the heart of the Father. We love because we have been loved. We feel the heart of God because we've been hurt. We feel His hurt. We feel His sorrow. And so we go into the bars. We go into the broken lives of people in Metro Inn or wherever they are. We go at South Dad Arms Apartments. We go wherever people are. We are not so busy ordering our lattes and our cappuccinos that we don't stop and ask the person behind the counter, how can I pray for you? How's your day going? We care because we have the heart of the Father. And look this way, look this way. It doesn't matter how they treat us. It should not matter to you what they do, how they treat you, how rude they are to you, how rude they are to me. You just aggressively and radically love them right where they are. Because love never fails. It doesn't. So with heads bowed and with eyes closed, Lord, we come to You and we pray, dear Lord, that if we are the rebellious son that we've repented, we're the religious son that we repent, that, dear Lord, today, that if we don't know You as our Lord and Savior, that You would come into our hearts and wake us up and stir within us, dear Lord. Bring us to repentance and brokenness, dear Lord. Do, dear Lord, something in our life to wake us up to the deadness that fills our souls. Father, may you bring us to the point that we would say, God, as Isaiah said, Lord, here am I, send me. May everywhere we go, on a campus, in a classroom, in a dormitory, in a factory, at an assembly line, in a Walmart, at a coffee shop, in a Starbucks, wherever we may be, may we be Jesus Christ there. May the love of Jesus flow through us. May we care about people. May we give something for heaven to celebrate every day we live. And Lord, if we're here and we don't know you, if there's one here that does not know you, today they would ask you and receive you into their hearts. Say, Lord, I want to repent of my sin and invite you in. Lord, speak to us today. We pray this in the name of Jesus.